Mac Power Users, Episode 592, WWDC 2021 and the Future of Mac Automation. Hello and welcome back to Mac Power Users. My name is Stephen Hackett. I'm joined as always by my friend and yours, Mr. David Sparks. Hey, Stephen. Happy WWDC week. Yes, you too. You too. I'm uh, I'm very tired. <laughs> <laughs> me, me too. I think I've done like five podcasts this week and um, I've been installing betas and playing with them. I, I always plan for this week not to get a lot of other work done and mm-hmm. that's coming true. <laughs> That's wise. Uh, so yeah, it is WWDC. We're out a few days early, so there's not an episode on Sunday. This is Sunday's episode just now. And uh, we we want to talk about Apple's announcements this week, but kind of through the lens in which we normally talk about stuff, of making our devices better tools for the, the types of work that we do. Uh, but we also have an interview a little bit later in the show. David, do you want to tell us about that? Yeah, uh, we heard from Apple about shortcuts for the Mac, and Vivek Bardwaj came on the show to talk about you know the thought behind shortcuts. We're going to talk about it as well in today's show, but it was really nice getting them in to answer some of our questions about what does this mean for Apple Script and automation in general in the Mac, and lots of good things. I feel like they they did it right, but we're going to talk more about shortcuts on the Mac during the show. But we are fortunate enough also to have someone from Apple to answer several of our questions today. Yeah, you and I both had a lot of questions and uh, it was it was really great, uh, a really great interview. So I, th- I think people will enjoy that. Uh, today on More Power Users, which is the longer ad-free version of MPU each and every week, we're going to be talking about how we are playing and, and planning to use Apple's new focus modes. This is a feature that's coming across their platforms later this year. And David, you had this great piece on it. I thought about you and the contextual computing idea that we've been talking a lot about this year. I think this new focus feature fits into that really nicely. So that'll be in more power users at the end of the show. Yeah, well, we're going to definitely talk about the the feature in the regular show. But um, in the bonus content, I want to go deep on how I've already implemented it because I have already gone so far down the rabbit hole on this. We were talking before the episode started about how this is sort of a strange WWDC where normally what we would do is we would go platform by platform and talk about the new features and what they're doing. And there is some of that to do. But at the same time, Apple has what I'm sort of calling the core updates this year, a set of features that for the most part, there's a little bit of fine print we'll get to that are showing up on all of their devices. So a lot of features coming to the iPhone, the iPad, the watch, the Mac. And that is exciting to me as a as a Mac-first kind of person, that the Mac is like getting things the same year the iPhone and iPad are, a Focus being an example of that, but there are lots of others we'll talk about. And so the way I thought we could structure this, we can kind of talk about those core set of features that are rolling out everywhere. And then uh, after our interview, get into sort of the individual platforms, because there is still some stuff that's iOS specific or iPad specific, et cetera. But I like this approach where Apple has a new feature coming to their whole ecosystem, really. 
And this is the dream, right? I mean, for too long, they would add some cool new feature to the iPhone. And then maybe a year later, it would land on the iPad. And maybe two years after that, it would show up on the Mac. And it's frustrating. And uh, that's not the case now. And I think this is kind of a result of a lot of moves Apple's been making. We've talked about Swift UI, which is this common programming framework, which Apple is now adopting internally. But they're doing a lot of things to make it a lot easier for people to make an app that can deploy on Mac, iPhone, and iPad. And, you know, Apple is doing that. And I, I'm really happy as well. The, the focus mode is a great example. I mean, this would be something that would typically, I think, show up on the iPhone only. Mm-hmm. But now it's everywhere. And it's awesome. Yeah, it, it is really awesome. I'm I'm excited. And I hope that we see more of this in the future, that we see more what I'm dubbing ecosystem features that just yeah. roll out across everything. And I think that's what Apple wants, right? They're moving their platforms closer together, both in hardware and software. And so I, I kind of think this is going to be more the direction we see as time goes on. Yeah. And if you look at the platform independent features like shortcuts for the Mac or multitasking on the iPad, those are features that those specific platforms needed. So, of course, they're only going to show up on that platform. But, you know, all the headliners are are across everything. Um, I can't help but feel this is also partly a result of the transition to Apple Silicon, but maybe I'm wish casting there. But I, I just feel like um, Apple is really hitting on all cylinders mm-hmm. with the idea of treating all of its, you know, platforms equally now. And really, you know, no longer do we have this worry that the Mac is getting left behind. So let's get into into some of these. Uh, I wanted to talk about iCloud just off the bat because I think the oh, way you mean Apple, iCloud Plus, yeah, <laughs> iCloud Plus, App, Apple was I think confusing in the way they spoke about this. But all iCloud Plus is is just any paid iCloud plan. So if you pay for iCloud storage space, that has now been rebranded iCloud Plus, and it comes with a few things. Uh, it comes with uh, higher limits on HomeKit or not HomeKit, uh, excuse me, but uh, the secure secure video. Secure video. Yeah, well, it's, uh, it's unlimited now. Yes, if you pay for the, I think the top plan. Uh, but what it also includes are two privacy-based features. One is called iCloud Private Relay, which is basically a VPN service, but only in Safari, and the way it works is a little bit different than, than other VPNs, but effectively it's the same kind of thing where a website you visit doesn't know your IP address, doesn't know your location. That's all tunneled and securely encrypted through a central location through the VPN. And there's also hide my email. And this may seem familiar because if you've used the sign in with Apple and any third party applications, one of the options is give this developer my real email address for my account or make up a nonsense email that is unique just to this account. And that means if I leave this service or I don't want to email from the service anymore, I can just turn that single kind of single use email address off and I don't see those emails anymore. That's basically coming to any paid iCloud subscriber. Uh, It's called hide my email. And when you're filling in forms or signing up for things, you can make a unique random email address and then that's all saved and you can go into settings in iCloud and 
deactivate or get rid of any of those that you don't actually need anymore. Yeah. And I've already got emails from listeners and readers saying, okay, how much is Apple going to charge me for the plus? And the, there is no charge, additional charge. So the way it works is if you are not paying for iCloud, you get the five gigabytes, which let's put a pin in that. I want to come back to that in a second. But if you pay anything, if you pay the $2 a month or whatever the, the lowest tier is, you get all of these features. They're just branding it as iCloud Plus, but it's this you're you're paying the same that you always paid for it. Right. Yeah, it's just, uh, I think the rebranding bit is the most confusing part of this. It's just a new set of features for paid, uh, paid iCloud subscribers. Now, let's talk about the five gigabytes. I I was thinking as they were making the announcement, they're like, you know, now we have all these additional features, which are why you're going to want to pay for iCloud Plus. But if you don't want to, you know, we've raised the five gigabyte limit to 100 gigabytes or, you know, 25 even. And we didn't get that. And uh, no. well, I wish I could I could get an explanation on that question. It's like, is it you know, there are a lot of iPhones out there, admittedly. So if you, you know, quadruple the free space, is that just like slam their existing servers? Do they not have the infrastructure to handle that? Right. Um, but, you know, as we've talked about and bemoaned on the past, I, I do think it's just a, a serious risk with iPhone users that don't pay that they're going to lose photos and data and not be happy with Apple. And, you know, given the amount that they charge for an iPhone, I just feel like, you know, come on. Give yeah. them a little more. <laughs> they are doing something. If you buy a new device, they give you three weeks free extra space, enough space to back up that device and restore it to the new one. And then that space goes away after you complete that transition. So that is new and that is cool. But I totally agree with you. The five gigabytes is ridiculous. I mean, we are now into year 10 of iCloud almost, and we're still dealing with this. But at the same yeah. time, like, does doubling it to 10 gigabytes, like, what does that do to their infrastructure? Like, <laughs> how many more data centers do you need to do that? I just don't, I've never done anything even remotely close to the scale. Very few have. And so I would imagine it's more complicated than we'd like to make it sound. I mean, didn't at one point they say there's 600 million active iOS devices? Yeah. I think something like that. It's so wild. 600 million times, you know, 10 gigabytes, you know, that's a lot of ones and zeros. Mm -hmm. So it could be that simple, but, but I do think this is a, a vulnerability for Apple and their relationship with their customers. And, um, and I really do appreciate the additional stuff with iCloud cloud plus. I actually do have more than five cameras. So I had to choose some that don't get to the iCloud secure video, which is definitely the way to go because Apple has anonymized it. You don't have to worry about some creepy company putting your internet, your video on the web. So, you know, I, I'm really happy with these up changes, but I will continue to bang the drum that we get more free storage for people that don't want to pay. Amen. <laughs> uh, uh, what about zoom? Uh, Apple put its uh, crosshairs on zoom this year. Yeah, they did. So, so FaceTime uh, getting a lot, of updates and again across everything which is which is pretty sweet uh they're doing i think the most important thing that they're doing at least for those of us you know the mac power users family who we are all tech support for all of our families right like <laughs> all of our listeners are that person in their family uh screen sharing through facetime including on ios and ipad os and so if you've ever tried to walk somebody through 
changing a setting or seeing what's going on with their phone or tablet, you know, it's just a nightmare. It's like, click the settings app and then go to this section. Oh, you, you know, now you can just in FaceTime, start a screen share on any device and you can see what's going on and walk them through it more easily. And I am so pumped about this as someone who's had to do remote support now for over a year or the handful of clients I have. And it's always an iPhone thing. And it's always like, I have my phone in my hand. I'm trying to walk them through it. Sometimes we're on a Zoom call and I stick my phone in front of the camera. It's like, look at this. This is what you're looking for. <sighs> Screen sharing. Um, they could have stopped right there. I would have been happy. <laughs> well, but they didn't. You can also share pictures and like, you can share just about any media through FaceTime now, which is going to be great. We do a lot of, for whatever reason, we do a lot of family meetings uh, through FaceTime where I seem to do most of my work stuff through Zoom. Mm -hmm. And um, like, I've never been a huge fan of the floating faces the way they do FaceTime currently where the faces kind of float around the screen. And I get that it looks really good on stage, but I just don't think it is as practical as just a typical grid. And they brought in a grid, so they fixed that problem. Um, they tried to make changes with the audio. And there was a very funny bit in the keynote where the, the lady's on the phone, on the FaceTime call, and her daughter is behind her with a leaf blower. Yeah. I thought that was actually really cute. Um, <laughs> it was great. Yeah, because that's uh, something I could imagine my kids doing. It feels like every mm -hmm. time I want to do something like a FaceTime call, my kids do the equivalent of a leaf blower. But the... Uh, so you can you can filter that out, or they have wide spectrum where you can get even better sound. And but it's just like somebody took a whiteboard and put a list of everything that Zoom does, and they're like, okay, we want to do all that. Um, the only thing I could think of that Zoom does that they don't with this is recording. You know, Zoom has built-in recording, but you know, I'm not sure they're even aiming for that segment. I feel like they view FaceTime more as a person-to-person -person family kind of thing as opposed to a work tool. Yeah, I think so, too. Uh, they're trying to make it. I mean, I think you said it exactly like people would use this for personal stuff. I mean, I think about over the last you know year and a half, I've done basically everything on Zoom and FaceTime wants to, to get some of that back. A, a big thing that's held FaceTime back, honestly, is that it's it's Apple only. And if you have family members or friends who, you know, carry an Android phone or are on a PC, it's just not an option, and they're changing that as well. FaceTime is coming to the web, so it's not a, a standalone Android app, although I think it should be, and maybe that's possible in the future, but you can send a link to somebody, just like Zoom. They can click it on their Windows machine or on their Android phone, and they're taken to facetime.apple.com, and they can do the call in the browser Definitely better than nothing. Uh, I still wish it was more native in more places, but this does open the door to people who were just una completely unable to join a FaceTime call before. And and I also, frankly, I just trust Apple's security model way more than Zoom's. And you know, Zoom has been a company that struggled as they grew so fast that they didn't have a lot of the security infrastructure in place at the beginning, and they're you know they're. They're playing the cat and mouse game to try and keep up with it as their volume grows. Um, I feel safer on a FaceTime call that nobody else can listen in than I would on a Zoom call. And um, uh, so I, I hope that they continue to add features. And And this is a pretty aggressive set of features added. I, I guess one question would be, 
uh, could you have done this a year earlier? Yeah. <laughs> you know, because we're now starting to come out of the pandemic and it's starting to be a time when we can actually meet with other people. But um, I don't think, and I'd, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on this, but I don't think the the video call is going to just disappear as the pandemic no. subsides. I think this is a thing now. Yeah, I, I think it's a thing now too. It may not be everything like it has been for a lot of people uh, in 2020, but I, I do think that for people who have gotten used to it now, that there's a lot of great things about it, especially with family who may be, you know, out of town or something. Or uh, they, far away, you know, just in general. Yeah. yeah, yeah, just yeah, long distance stuff. And so, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think it's is here to stick around. It's kind of like the face unlock with the mask. It's like, okay, well, that's awesome that we have it, but it was really important for like three months for a lot of people. And now that hopefully people are vaccinated and as things get back to normal, it's like, well, I could have really used that about a year earlier, but this stuff takes time. And I, and I get that. I do wish Apple on the whole could be more nimble with this stuff. Like what if they had said, okay, we're really going to push on FaceTime. And if we had had this six months ago, I think it would have been really great, but that's not how it worked out. And, and as a result, zoom and well, mostly just zoom <laughs> has really kind of taken over this, this market. And we'll see if, if Apple can claw any of it back. Hey, you know, it's funny as the pandemic ends, I think I'm going to be the guy who still wears a mask often in crowded public places. Yeah. I didn't catch a single cold or the flu last year. I mean, you know, COVID aside, it, I've been really healthy. <laughs> I think the masks are part of it. Well, in addition with FaceTime, we got SharePlay, which is another kind of cool feature that allows, particularly for family and friends, where you can queue up a video or music and have it start together. And then you can watch it simultaneously with friends. Uh, so you've got yourself and your friends on your FaceTime call on your phone, and you can even throw it up on your Apple TV with the, the actual movie playing. I'm very uh, interested in this feature because I actually used a similar workflow uh, during the pandemic. I've got a couple friends that um, are into Star Wars like me, and they had a bunch of new Star Wars episodes come out in Disney+. Plus. So we would put our phones on a table in front of us, and then we would we would queue it up and we'd literally count down three, two, one and click the play button so we could watch it together during pandemic, but not be in the same room. Mm -hmm. So this is, that's, we, we've been doing it, you know, but it's, it's really difficult to get it started at the same time. And then like inevitably like your friend will go, Whoa. And then like five seconds later, you'll see why they did that. You right. know, and that's no fun. So I, I think this is cool. Yeah, it is cool. Uh, I have never done this, but I love that you have, and I love that it was Star Wars. <laughs> of course it was, man. Mandalorian, baby. Oh, it's so good. Uh, yeah. So, so yeah, it, it works with streaming services as long as they adopt it, and Apple announced a bunch of partners who were going to do it, including Disney+. Plus. It'll work with Apple Music, and, uh, and yeah, so it's it's just this way to experience media together. Again, something that maybe would have seen more use had it been there a year ago, but like FaceTime stuff, you know, if now, if you want to do this with friends in the future, it'll be really easier than it was before. And so that, that is good for people who, who want this sort of feature. I'm very interested to see how this goes. 
I'm going to continue to use it. I mean, one of the things of us coming out of pandemic is my daughter actually gets to move into a dorm at UCLA next year, but we have a couple of shows we watch together and I would love to be able to um, kind of continue to watch TV with her, even though she's not living in my house. I think this will be something I use. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. The thing that kind of goes with share play in terms of you're just sharing things with other people. That was a big theme at WDC is a, a set of features called shared with you. And, and basically what this is, is in a bunch of different Apple apps, including music, Safari, Apple news, podcasts. If someone has sent you a link to something that that app handles. So say that I send you a link to an album that I want you to check out. It will now show up in the shared with you section of music. Cause it knows that I send it to you via messages and it, it watches for that and then puts it in music I think the idea is when you go to open music or Apple news or Apple podcast, you can then see things sent to you by other people without having to remember that they're somewhere in a message thread. And I'm very curious to see how this works in practice, but on the surface, at least where we are today, I really like the idea of not having to keep up with stuff. People send me and just kind of waiting for me when I get into the app. So I'm, I'm, very curious to see, you know, how this stuff gets surfaced and, and how useful it actually is. Because in practice, I think I really like the idea. Well, I, I think it really depends on where you spend your time. You know, no surprise, I've already got the beta installed on my carry phone. Oh, and boy. the, um, <laughs> did I just hear you gasp? What did you I, do? I, I'm dying a little inside. Uh, it's it's a pandemic, man. Where am I going? It's fine. <laughs> um, but, you know, like I, I do get like these links and the sharing stuff from like my kids and it, it's it is cool. And I, I think this is going to be useful, but it's going to also depend on how often you're into things like in, if you go in the music app, it'll say this is an album Sarah shared with you. But if I'm not in the music app, I'm not going to see it. So it's just um it's like a it's like a, a hook or a link between messages primarily and all the other apps that service media on your phone. So you just gotta decide. I think the the most frequent use for it though is photos. You know, a lot of people share photos via messages, and then you'll it uses AI to pick the ones that it thinks you'll be most interested in and it puts them in your photos library, and then you can choose what to do with them from there. So you don't have to long press and save to your photos library you know, these random photos into your stream. I think this is a cool feature that will be helpful to some and others won't use it at all, you know? Yeah, you just scroll right past it when you open yeah. Apple Music. Yeah. Maybe you could use it to uh, troll a friend. Like, you know, they really don't like jazz and so you just send them a lot of jazz albums and you could try to yeah, convert just, them. Uh, yeah, I can just see uh, Steven sending me all the Kenny G links. <laughs> kind of thought it goes the other way around in our friendship, but... We'll just yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm not as uh, well, I was so anti Kenny G when I was young. I mean, I wrote it into my wedding contract with the DJ that if she played Kenny G, she wouldn't get paid. Wow, <laughs> because that yeah, that's how serious it was. Now, as I get older, I'm like, you know what? He plays the saxophone. He can pay his bills playing the saxophone. Good on him. I don't have to buy his albums, but good for him. You know, <laughs> you get mellower as you get older. That's what I'm telling you, gang. <laughs> Safari is new across the ecosystem. Uh, We're going to come back to the design of Safari because I have some 
concerns. But uh, as far as features, one thing that's really cool is on the iPhone and iPad, Safari picks up web extensions, which is the uh, the new extension format that Apple has adopted and is kind of cross-platform with some other browsers, kind of not. That's a That's a very complicated thing to get into. But having these extensions in the iPad and iPhone versions of Safari really open up a lot of opportunity to do things that maybe you'd have to dig through a share sheet or build a shortcut for. Developers will be able to target those versions of Safari as well. So I'm, I'm excited to see that. The other big feature, and David, I want to ask you what you think about this, because I actually don't know how you, like what sort of browser person you are. I'm a minimum number of windows and tabs. I don't keep a lot of stuff open for days at a time, but I know people who do. But now you can create tab groups. And so they they are temporary collections of tabs. And then you just go into the sidebar and, and tap on them or click on them and they open back up. It's kind of like how in bookmarks in Safari, you can open a whole folder at a time. And I do that a lot. It's like that, but you're not really creating bookmarks. I think it's meant to be more temporary. And then they all sync across your devices. But in, in the way that you use Safari, is that something that will be useful to you? I don't think so. But um, I haven't fully got my arms around what the ideal usage is for that. Um, maybe like, I guess if you're doing like a research project and you want to create a temporary set of of tabs. But I have, like I would use DevonThink to just save and annotate those those links i wouldn't rely on something like safari to hold them for me yeah. but um yeah well we're gonna talk because there's so much to this change with safari we're gonna give a separate segment to it later in the show because it is very different and it's very different from all other browsers too um, to answer your question though i don't i also don't keep a lot of tabs open except on the iphone because i forget that they're there on the iphone the way it's historically done that view um, I'll open it up one day and see that I've got like two months worth of tabs still open in Safari and I have to go through and you know delete them. But with the new design, um, that's not going to be as much of a problem. Yeah. I, I, you know, I use a, I use a tab until I'm done with it and then I close it. I don't pretty much how I, how I roll as well. Um, yeah. A couple other things, updated maps, you know, rolling out more detailed information in more places. There's uh, some stuff coming to mail. Some of it's Mac-specific, which we'll get to, but the thing that is coming to the whole ecosystem is mail will now block tracking pixels, which sometimes end up in newsletters or junk email, and whoever the sender is can track if you've opened it or not and get your IP address and other information. Mail's going to block all of that. And there's some concern about what that may do to people who rely on sending newsletters for a business. And that's obviously a complicated uh, thing to manage. But I think if you had a, a paid membership or, you know, or a paid newsletter or something like that, I think you'll, you'll be fine. Even an unpaid one. Like I, I have a newsletter that goes out to like 25,000 people for Max Sparky and it's not a subscription. You can just sign up for it for free and you get it. My as these anti-tracking pixels, because I use the the service I use tracks them. I mean, there's not even a way to turn it off. I looked one time, but as this uh, you know has made a movement to stop these tracking pixels, 
Um, you just get less and less data about who opens it and whatever, but I, I don't even care. I mean, honestly, like I said, if I could, I'd turn it off. So, yeah. um, and, and I get it. I don't make my living on that newsletter. So if you're listening and banging your head against the dashboard, uh, you know, I, I hear you, but overall, I think this is kind of a good thing for consumers. I mean, Hey had this feature as well. And there's a couple other email apps that have been uh, playing with these tools. And I, the, the fact that Apple has adopted it in the most, popular mail app on any apple device means that this is gonna i think it's really gonna get legs now and you'll probably see this uh propagating across a lot of mail apps it's like one of those things that's gonna hurt the people who are trying to do shady things so that's yeah. not what you're doing and so i think you'll be you'll be just fine um yeah. another feature and i have not gone to play with this but it seems like magic is live text where you can point your camera. Uh, I think the example they had was the outside of a building and it had like the phone number on it. You could tap and call the phone number by just seeing a picture of it. So it's doing all this OCR on top of images. It can also, you can also do it with photos in your photo library, pull text out into an Apple note or something. When I think about what computers can do in the future, I know this is like the least most the least exciting example but i saw it i was like holy cow look at that i'm i'm excited to play with this one yeah i mean yeah me too and but there are apps doing this already um but you know putting it as a system level um, tool means that way more people are going to use it and you'll find you know easier ways to integrate it into existing applications and there are plenty of times that you you know, see a picture and you, like you said, grab a phone number out of a picture, or even just like when you're searching your photos library, if it's doing OCR on every photo in my library and I can say, Hey, uh, you know, I want to find that picture of that time we went to Dave's crab shack, you know, and we're standing in front of the sign. All I have to do is type the words and it'll go find the image. And that's, that's cool. Yeah. I think it's going to be, be really awesome. You skipped over maps really quick, um, and I get that this is a partial rollout. It's only in major cities right now, but uh, I would encourage anybody that's interested in maps to go look at the new design that they have. I think it looks really nice, and uh, I mean, they—I know it's going to take time to get this kind of propagated out of the big urban cities, but once they do, I mean, having that level of detail in your maps—I mean, they even have like the paint on the streets. In, in the crosswalks, you know, on the overhead when you're getting your driver's dr- driving directions. Um, I think this is a real, this is a real thing. I mean, I think it's going to make a big difference when you're using maps for directions or just anything. And they also added Google earth basically to maps. If you mm-hmm. zoom out enough, you get the planet, which is yeah, I think yeah. always fun, you know? Yeah. That, that was like the coolest thing in Google earth to like spin it around and zoom in. Yeah. A couple other things, and then we'll get to dictation because I know you wrote you wrote about dictation uh, today. But there's some slightly new design stuff and messages. If you get someone sends you a bunch of photos, they kind of stack up, take up less space. And then Apple Notes has quite a few new things. You have tagging as like a blessed way of organization. You have a history of edits and shared notes. And so we use Google Docs and say that. I need to go back and roll back a change. I can see the changes, who made it, what time. That is coming to to Apple Notes. And you can also call somebody out with the, uh, you can actually call attention to people you're sharing the note with. 
Yeah, you see like the at symbol in their name and then they get a yeah. notification. So you get, that's great for like assigning things in a node or making sure someone sees a change. And then you have a, a quick note functionality, which if you're on the Mac or the iPad, you can create a note from anywhere and it is aware of the context. So say you're in Safari and you have a web page up and you create a quick note. The quick note knows the URL that's in the foreground and that gets added to the note and then you can save it really quickly. And then on the iPhone, you can view and edit them, but you can only create them on the the iPad and the Mac. I think that's because they're using a gesture on the iPad and maybe that conflicted with the phone or they haven't figured out how to do it gesture-wise on the phone. I'm not quite sure there, but another, I think, really fast way to get something into notes. You know, I use the share extension into notes all the time for things. And I think quick note will take that over in a lot of cases. Yeah. I am. I feel like uh, Apple notes just has slowly become a very powerful application mm-hmm. and the integration with the operating system gives it that extra leg up so much so that uh, one of the things on my checklist is to look into where Apple notes fits in my life. Cause as much as I like, obsidian and i'm still all in with obsidian there are different you know multimedia type notes that i think still make more sense in apple notes yeah and uh i want to develop a workflow where i'm just using apple notes as well and like that quick note is great you take a pencil apple pencil and you swipe up from the lower right corner of your ipad in any app and then it just gives you a note field and you can write in it and it'll convert your handwriting to text and you can draw a diagram and you can it saves immediately to apple notes and like you said it's got hyperlinks to whatever page you were on uh, with these deep links and um I, this is something you know kind of again on my ever ever uh, my, my non-ending discussion point of contextual computing that's what you want you want something that that ties things together. So you as the user don't have to spend time getting from A to B. It just does it for you. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, I, I'm actually going to give Katie a call because she used to give me a hard time how she thought Apple Notes was never going to develop anything. I'm going to just rub her nose in a little bit. Just a little <laughs> bit. The last big ecosystem feature is improved dictation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I published a video at Max Barkey um, on Thursday. I, it may be the day the show releases. We're we're still figuring that out. But um, I got my daughter has an iPhone 12. I have an iPhone 12 Pro, and I just set them on the table next to each other and hit the dictation button at the same time. Um, and I did a video, and you can see the differences. Now, the big difference. Well, there's a couple big differences. The first is that now they're doing all the dictation on device, which has a security implication because historically, when you talk to your iPhone, it would send your audio up to the cloud where they would have a server do the dictation and they'd send the text back down to you. And a lot of people couldn't use that. Like if you're a doctor or something and you just didn't want to be you know, putting patient notes up to somebody else's cloud. Well, now it's all on device. Uh, An advantage of it being on device, though, is it doesn't have to do that round trip, so it's much faster. Um, So you get security and speed with everything being on device. Um, When I did the test, I didn't see much of a difference in speed. Um, The historic uh, cloud-based one, because I I ran an iOS 14 phone next to an iOS 15 phone. Um, They were both about the same speed, but and we'll talk about this on the next uh, uh, feedback episode. I have recently spent money on my Wi-Fi, and I now have a smoking fast Wi-Fi in my house. I mean, 
I'm getting like 500 down. Ooh. So my my phone that was doing it through the cloud had the benefit of a very fast connection, but the speed wasn't particularly faster. Uh, it is a little bit more accurate, which they're always iterating the accuracy. To me, the huge change with dictation is they have killed the timer. Ding dong. The timer is dead. So if you've done dictation in the past, you know that after about 40 to 60 seconds, it just stops. Have you run into that, Stephen? Yeah. I mean, and if you're not paying attention to it, you're just talking to a phone that's not listening to you anymore. Yeah. And all <laughs> of that, it will stop in the middle of a sentence. So yep. it's like, then you've got to like fiddle with it to like delete half of a sentence and push the button to start over again. And it's like that guy in Lost that had to push the button to save the world every 45 minutes or whatever, you know, that's what it feels like. And now it's just gone. It just, I turned it on and dictated for like three minutes on this video and it never turned off. I did another one where I just left it going for like 10 minutes. I didn't record that one and it just kept going. It's like, I think, I think there's no timer at all anymore. And this is not just on the iPhone. It's true on the Mac. Although I'm told that it's only on the M1 Max. It's not on the Intel Max. Correct. But on the M1 Mac, the iPad and the iPhone, there's no longer a timer. You don't have to worry about a button. And dictation is very good. If you watch the YouTube video I put up, you'll see that, I mean, there's only a few mistakes in the whole thing. So um, I feel like we've kind of got to an inflection point on voice to text for the iPhone. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by 1Password. Go to onepassword.com slash MPU in all caps to get 20% off. 1Password is the security app I use and recommend to everyone. With 1Password, you can make one password that unlocks all your other passwords. No longer do you have to use the same dumb password on multiple websites. Of course, that's very dangerous because if the bad guys get your password at one site, they have it at all the websites. With 1Password, you just press one button and it auto-generates a strong and unique password that you can use for each individual site, protecting your privacy. 1Password is way more than a password generation machine, however. It is an entire security suite. One of the things 1Password does is it looks at the websites that you have passwords for and keeps an eye on them. So if there's any security breaches on them, it lets you know so you can set up a new password or even terminate your account if you don't trust those guys anymore. In addition to your website security, 1Password covers all of your security. For instance, it's got a whole field and system to catalog your credit cards. Not only can you put your credit cards in 1Password, you can also put that 1-800 number you need to call if you lose your wallet. Because if you lose your wallet, where are you going to get that 800 number? One of the tricks I use is I even just take a picture of my credit card and I attach it to the secure 1Password entry for that credit card. It also has secure notes. For when I go to the doctor, for instance, I keep notes about my doctor visits in the 1Password vault. It's also a great place to store passwords and secure data for other people. If you've got that family member that can never seem to remember their you know, secure passwords, uh, just write it down for them in your database, and then you can be the person they call when they inevitably lose it. Another thing I love about 1Password is the way they never sleep. They routinely hire outside experts to try and breach their walls and find holes in their security, and they're always looking for the best way to make sure that your data with 1Password is fully protected. This leads to them coming up with their own proprietary tools that nobody else can see but can protect your data in the background. 
1Password takes your security and privacy seriously. You should too, and go sign up for 1Password at onepasswordcom MPU. Put that in all caps, you get that 20% off, and start protecting yourself today with 1Password. As we said at the top of the show, we've got a guest today, Vivek Bardwaj from Apple, who is uh, one of the people that helped build the shortcuts for Mac. And he's going to share with us uh, some details concerning this new technology and answer some of the questions we've been hearing from the listeners and the audience. We're so excited today to have Vivek Bardwaj on the show. Vivek is with Apple and here to talk to us today about shortcuts on the Mac. Thanks so much for coming by, Vivek. Oh, thanks, guys. I, and thanks, David. Really appreciate this. Uh, you know, I have to admit, when I was on the team of saying, don't bring shortcuts to the Mac, just keep making it awesome on iPhone and iPad, because, you know, we have all these automation tools already on the Mac. But now having used the beta a few days, it's obvious to me that this is something that had to happen uh, not only is this great for the Mac, actually, I can see some of these new actions that were created for the Mac already coming back to the iPhone and iPad. And uh, I'll have to say, I have to admit, I'm excited to see this now coming to the Mac. Oh, we are too. I mean, you know, I, I'm sure you've seen from the keynote, the the buzz this week has been incredible. Uh, you know, I've been looking online and just so many people out there who have enjoyed, as you, you mentioned, automation on, on the Mac for such a long time are, are really enjoying uh, the announcement this week. And so we're, we're just so excited. I'm also impressed so far with, with the quality of the application. I, you know, I've worked with a lot of the folks on the shortcuts team and even back when they were workflow before they joined Apple and they're these scrappy young programmers and now they're making Mac apps. I think that's kind of awesome. <laughs> oh yeah. And, it, and you know, it's not just any Mac app. They it's, it's a full native app. They've, you know, done an incredible job. Um, and I, I think people are just going to love using shortcuts on the Mac. I, you know, as, as we mentioned uh, earlier this week, it, it is the future of automation on the Mac and, and we're really excited with the app and, and kind of how we're starting this year. It's Swift UI based, correct? Yeah, it is. Um, and, and that's, that helps, right? It, it makes it so much easier for, for developers who want to work with uh, and build shortcuts, you know, for, for Mac, for iOS. Um, there's just a lot of compatibility across the platforms, which is, is really cool. Shortcuts has been on iOS and an important part of iOS for several years now. What led to this being the year for it to be on the Mac as well? We've been working towards this, you know, for, for some time, you know, when we first launched Shortcuts. Uh, and I think bringing it on iPhone and iPad was was powerful. It was a great opportunity for all of us to, to get some great feedback. Um, you know, those are devices, as, as you know, that you, you carry with you everywhere, right? Um, and automation on on th those platforms didn't really exist uh, before shortcuts. And so it was a great opportunity to kind of test it out, bring it out there, you know, work closely with the developer ecosystem, get them, get them excited about all the different shortcuts that they can go build. Uh, and then, you know, really bring it home to the Mac, uh, you know, and, and I think we, we learned a lot. We took a, a lot of feedback um, and we're now building on this really, really strong foundation. Uh, so we're, you know, we feel it's the, it's just the right time to really bring shortcuts to the Mac. Yeah. It's really interesting to see the platforms kind of grow together and shortcuts is just another bridge, you know, where you can move fluidly with not only your apps, but now your workflows between iPhone, iPad and Mac. 
but the Mac, of course, has a lot of history of its own, and uh, it has this ecosystem of applications that aren't necessarily available on those other platforms. Uh, what can users expect to see in terms of the type of apps on the Mac that will be able to support shortcuts? There's a ton of them, you know, and we're already seeing people online who are kind of getting into the developer beta as, as you guys are and, and testing this sort of stuff out. We focused on a few things, right? The, the first was really making sure that we we're bringing over a lot of the most common, most popular actions that people have been familiar with, right? From automator and scripting and, and all sorts. And so that's definitely something you'll see in shortcuts day one and, and, and people are already enjoying that uh, through the beta but the second was really making sure that we we built some really great Mac shortcuts. Uh, and, you know, if you think of the Mac user, think about the things you, you spend your time doing, right? You, you're managing all your different windows, um, files, documents, all of that good stuff. Um, and that's where shortcuts can really shine. So you'll find a ton of shortcuts to manage your windows, uh, manage, you know, and interact with files through Finder. Uh, there's things for PDFs, being able to batch uh, images into PDFs do way more like, and actually I just had one the other day from a, a person in my team who was asking, um, and this is kind of that classic example, right? You're, you're asking for how to connect to a server. Um, and so you, you, you know, you text someone and you give them all the step-by-step instructions. Hey, go to this folder, log in, do this, do that. Well, you can use a shortcut. And so I think that you'll find a whole ton of great Mac shortcuts, um, you know, we, we've organized the gallery uh, in the Shortcuts app, which is just a great place to, to get started. And, and so you'll find a whole host of Mac shortcuts. You'll find a ton of compatibility coming across from Automator, um, you know, an Apple script and Shell script. And then, you know, what's really compelling, and, you know, I think, David, you mentioned this, we're, we're already adding shortcut capability for features we, we announced this year, right? So if you take something like Focus, uh, you know, as a great example um, of a really powerful feature uh, coming this fall to to our users, you can use shortcuts with that, right? You could set up a, a work focus or set up a focus for some personal time, and then that can become a trigger for a shortcut. So it's really great to kind of have this broad base of devices and platforms where we can bring existing actions over. We can have some really great Mac, deep Mac shortcuts. And then a whole bunch of new ones from from features from iOS 15 this year. I do really appreciate the fact that this is across the spectrum of Apple hardware. It's not just a Mac thing. This is really true integration. Uh, and Focus is a great example of that. On the subject of Automator, I think there there is a lot of listeners are going to have questions because, you know, a lot of folks have been automating for a long time on the Mac with traditional tools. Um there's Apple Script, there's JavaScript and other uh, shell scripting, and then there's Automator, which was kind of a simplification or you know pulling that stuff together. Mm-hmm. Now, I the way I'm looking at it, it seems like you guys are doing your best to kind of duplicate a lot of the Automator stuff in shortcuts. And I understand we can bring scripts in now from Automator to shortcuts. What's involved with that? Yeah, it's uh, it's a good question. The you know. When we were looking at kind of the Mac and, and building shortcuts on this, as, as you mentioned, there's a long, deep history, right, of automation. And and so the decision was was an easy one to make sure that we were, were going to support all those technologies that people love and obviously have invested a ton of time and energy into. 
so that that was really important for us and and you know it was a no-brainer for the team to to think about how we bring those workflows across uh, and I think honestly they've done an incredible job I, I, I the way that they've looked at this is to make sure that as you're bringing those workflows over um, it's a really easy conversion process you can in fact open your automator workflow file right in the shortcuts app um you know hey you can even drag and drop your your workflow file right onto the shortcuts app icon and it'll it'll pop right open so that's you know just making that really easy from the get-go is is was important but beyond that if you think about really the steps inside an automated workflow you know as you mentioned david people have set these things up a long time ago they've been relying on them for for some time and perhaps they've even forgotten all the actions that are, are built into those workflows uh, and so with shortcuts, it really evaluates all of those actions, right? It takes the time to look at all the sequence of steps and then match that in the shortcuts app. Um, and what most users will find, and we're, we're already seeing this, you know, just in the last few days, is people are migrating over. Um, shortcuts is able to kind of get a little more granular than you would perhaps with Automator um, and actually show you all the different actions it's pulled across, um, and so we think that that migration is is going to be easy for for many users. Um, and so that that's just a great opportunity for us to kind of start with shortcuts on the Mac day one. Now, at an opposite extreme, there are users who don't use uh, never used Automator, but instead they had very complex um, Apple scripts. Like uh, the keynote wasn't over, and I was getting emails from from <laughs> listeners. And one of them said, "Hey, I've got this publishing workflow. I paid a guy thousands of dollars years ago to put together an Apple script. I don't even understand what it does, but I'm I'm in trouble if this stops working." <laughs> uh, can you put his mind at ease? Oh, sure. I you know I I think one of the things that uh, we wanted to pay close attention to was obviously Automator, but to kind of set the record straight, that there's no changes being made to Apple Script, right? Um, that's there. It's a, it's you know fully supported um, in macOS as it always has been. You know, really our, our message. A good way to think of it is our message for for kind of this transition. I, you know, I think Craig kind of called it a, a multi year transition. Is really about automator and shortcuts, right? How do we we help users migrate over? Um, you know, for those users who invested in scripting, that's always going to be there, and and you know they can continue to. To use that, um, you know, our focus is really helping those folks bridge that jump from automated to, to shortcuts. And as I understand it, you guys have actually embraced Apple Script. You have actions now where the users can run Apple Script in shortcuts, at least on the Mac. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, inside the Mac, yeah, that you'll see all of that pop right up in the shortcuts app. So yeah, that's we've definitely embraced it, and and it's a, a core part of you know the platform. And so, yep, definitely can put those minds at ease um, for for those that have invested in that technology. What about uh, auto, automator actions that may not have corresponding actions in shortcuts? You know, looking through uh, automator mm. here on my Mac, I've got actions from applications that may not uh, be ready for shortcuts and, and may not be for some time. For people who are going to need to rely on automator for a while, what would you say to them? As you know, that this is a really passionate, right, enthusiastic community, and and we're going to be listening closely and and. Um, working with them, uh, you know, I, I think that's part of this transition. Uh, we're not trying to move fast so that we can, you know, cut people off. The automator is there, and, and it will be. But the the more important thing is uh, we've focused really heavily on on I guess I'd say the you know the most common actions, right? Things that we know 
uh, a lot of people rely on. Um, and so those are, are there. And, you know, we encourage folks to, to kind of test that out in the beta. And, um, you know, as we kind of continue to, to listen to the community, those are things that we'll, we'll pay close attention to. But, you know, if there are some things that aren't necessarily supported day one, Automator is there. You can continue to use that. Um, and, you know, we're going to keep encouraging feedback to come in. And I'm sure you'll you'll get feedback from your listeners. And so I, I encourage you you guys to, to pass that on to us too. But we we will, you know, be working closely with everyone to, to make this transition as smooth as possible. Uh, I've already submitted multiple tickets. You're, you're good there. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I think that's really reassuring to people who do rely on this, not only to speed up little tasks, but like David said, a lot of people have whole workflows that just aren't feasible to do otherwise, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think about the days when I was doing you know, print media and it's like, we have all these Apple scripts to do all these things with all these files and you could do it by hand, but it wasn't efficient to do so. So I'm glad to hear that all that stuff is sticking around. I do want to back up for a second though. We've talked about the Mac-centric actions y'all have added to Shortcuts, which I was super excited to see uh, in the session. There was a slide of all these different uh, actions adding to Shortcuts. Like, yeah, that's everything I need to deal with finders and servers and <laughs> Finder and everything. Uh, but what about uh, apps that may be written in an app kit, you know, sort of this these more traditional Mac apps? Will those developers be able to add Shortcut support? Or is this something that is only really for Mac Catalyst and iOS apps on M1? Mm, yeah, it's a great, I mean, you know, absolutely. No matter how, I guess our message is, no matter how you're building your app, there is a path to shortcuts, right? We're, we're paying close attention to that. Um, and so when you think of Catalyst apps, uh, iOS apps, iPad apps, those, you know, on, on the M1 Macs, for example, use the existing frameworks from iOS, right? So that's that's going to make it easy. You know, AppKit, uh, pure kind of Swift UI apps, these also use the same frameworks. Um, and so again, uh, you know, our intense framework, as, as you may know, um, helps with, with a lot of the shortcut building. That's exactly the same and, and will remain that way. Um, and, you know, again, as, as we talked about earlier, the shortcuts app itself uh, is built, you know, in Swift UI and AppKit on the Mac um, and Swift UI and, and obviously UIKit on, on iOS. Um, and so that's, that's great, right? It, it actually is going to let people write code, shared across platforms, uh, and is really going to make it seamless. Um, and so I, I think that's important uh, for developers to know that there is a path, um, you know, no matter which way they, they kind of get started. I think the second thing I'd say is, you know, we're, we're kind of going through this journey and, you know, a great example is, is the shortcuts editor, right? Um, we've built that in Swift UI. And there are some things on Mac that are a little different, right, from a design perspective um, that are unique to that platform, uh, whether you're hovering over on a mouse or rollover and, and controls, whether you're using a keyboard to kind of focus on on-screen elements. Uh, and, and those are all things that we've paid attention to uh, in the Shortcuts app itself. And, and, you know, developers will do the same. And so that's kind of really the most important thing um, for developers to know that there is definitely a path. Um, you know, across uh, the, the different platforms and, and certainly a, a path to shortcuts. So that's a, hopefully a, a positive message for, for all the listeners. Uh, one thing I like with the beta so far is all the ways you can launch shortcuts. And, um, you know, on the iPhone and iPad, 
that's a very opinionated user interface. But the Mac is different. You know, people work with Macs with their keyboards and their mice. At this point in the beta, you can you can launch a shortcut from the menu bar. You can attach it to a quick action, which is historical automation for folks who who have been automating a long time. Like you can make a quick action out of a shortcut, and you can even add keyboard shortcuts to launch your shortcuts. And um, I just really appreciate the time and effort that was put in to bringing shortcuts, um, launching, and interaction to the historical kind of methods of input to a Mac. It's one of those things that, you know, at Apple, we pay a lot of attention to that kind of deep integration, right? We're, we're not just building an app uh, for the, the sake of building a, an app on Mac. This is about deeply integrating it into the OS. And, you know, I, some of my favorites is actually a shortcut kind of popping up in Finder um, based on kind of, you know, the files and things you're looking at. Um, that's just such a Mac thing and feels just so at home. Uh, same with the menu bar. Um, and I don't know about you guys, but I, I I use Spotlight a lot on the Mac, and I, I think a lot of our users do, right? It's it's just that place you go to launch your apps, find your documents, and, and shortcuts will show up there as well. Yeah, I think that deep integration was really something that we knew would be a, a really compelling experience for for users. And 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 I think it's it's also one of those things that helps build familiarity. Um, you know, one of the things we want to encourage Mac users uh, who have long had automation set up that shortcuts across your devices, whether it's iPhone or iPad or you know, even on your Apple Watch, um, there is kind of these familiar points within the the UI that you're going to be able to act on a shortcut. And, and I think that's really important for developers to know, to, to kind of uh, know that their app is kind of going to get engaged, right, in, in those different areas. But I think it's just great for users, right? They Whatever they're doing, it's not something that they have to go, like, I mean, can you imagine the last thing we'd want is to run a shortcut? Yeah, you always have to open the shortcut app. And so I think the fact that we we think deeply about the OS and all those touch points is, is just something really unique that, that we can do at Apple, which is, is exciting. Now, there is going to be some inconsistency, however, like um, if you've got a window management shortcut, like one of the new actions, which is really cool, is you can, you can size your window on your screen. And it's not just left and right. They've got multiple locations. Mm-hmm. You can put a window on the screen. But when you go over to the iPad, for instance, that's not the way that user interface works. So those scripts aren't that you write for Mac aren't going to necessarily work on iPad. And then there may be some app-based shortcuts on iOS that don't necessarily work on the Mac. How will the users uh, be able to navigate that with this new system? If you look at each of our devices, each of our platforms, they they are unique. Um, they they have some things that are obviously shared, but there there are unique experiences on them. And when I you know when you look at iPad, especially the updates we announced this year, right for multitasking, those are things that people are quite comfortable as, as users are, are quite comfortable using on the iPad, right? Split view, slide over. These are kind of the the sizes and and the view that people expect. Whereas when you switch over to the Mac you're not necessarily thinking of the iPad UI. You're thinking about yeah. the Mac UI. And, and I, I think we encourage our developers to think the same, right? They think about building the best possible experience for each of those platforms. And, and the users just inherently know this because it's intuitive, right, as, as they move from device to device. Well, I do appreciate that because I feel like that adds a degree of complexity that you have to figure out, you know, well, I can't do this kind of thing on this kind of device. But 
I mean, the other option would have been to go to lowest common denominator and not have those device specific actions. And uh, my hat's off to the shortcuts team for not taking that road. The shortcuts team and, and, you know, many folks at Apple, it's just, it's the way we think about our platforms and we do think of them as unique, distinct experiences. And so I, yeah, I, I think users are going to love moving between devices, uh, interacting with shortcuts and taking advantage of everything each platform can give them. As you mentioned, there's also this notion that things do transfer across. There's a lot of shortcuts that will work seamlessly across these devices. Um, you know, and, and when you think of like Max powered by M1, uh, for example, you're going to have those iPhone and iPad apps uh, available on the Mac. And so you can actually configure your shortcuts. You can set up and manage your shortcuts across those devices. Uh, we even have in the app, as I'm, I'm sure you've seen, kind of the ability to just drag and drop shortcuts to things like your Apple Watch. Um, and so as you've set one up, let's say you, you set up a really fun multi-step shortcut uh, on the Mac, um, that you really want on your Apple Watch, you can just drag and drop that into the Apple Watch folder and, and it'll sync right up and away you go. So there, there's definitely some commonality, but then there's that unique experience for each of them as well. One uh, one new feature that that I definitely want to touch on is the, the addition of next action suggestions. So someone is, is mm. putting together a, a, a workflow or an automation shortcuts is there to help them, I guess, bring that to the next level. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about what y'all think that means for people who are maybe getting their feet wet with automation for the first time. Yeah. You know, it's funny. It's when I think of next action suggestions, uh, it's kind of like shortcuts helping shortcuts, right? It's a, it's a really uh, fun experience for folks that perhaps don't know anything about coding At, at first glance. You know, if you open up the editor, um, it could be overwhelming, right? If you know nothing about any of this, but you want to dip your toe in, how do you get started? And, you know, when you take a step back, suggestions has kind of been something we've been building across uh, our devices and, and experience for, for years, right? Um, shortcuts itself get suggested based on, on where you are, what you're doing. Um, a lot of features that we build that are, are kind of powered by on-device intelligence um, are also suggested, right? Um, based on a whole variety of signals coming from your device. And so this notion of suggesting something to the user um, is really powerful and, and we know they take advantage of that. Uh, and so it, it was kind of a no-brainer to bring that into the Shortcuts app. Um, and it really is easy. You know, when you're you're doing kind of simple shortcuts where you're you're trying to get a file or open a certain file in a, a certain configuration or window, you'll get the next action suggestion, right? You'll you'll see a dedicated section for suggestions and it really does intelligently understand um, that kind of next step. And it's like building Lego, right? Like it's it's kind of, you you get started with the base and then, you know, brick after brick after brick and, and before you know it, you've built a, a, you know, ginormous structure. And so I think that's really kind of a great opportunity for people who know nothing about shortcuts or automation, and they can kind of just click, drag and drop, get the next suggestion and, and keep building. Um, and so that, that's a really, yeah, we're really excited about that. And, and I think that's something that we, you know, we pay close attention to and and we hope our, our users enjoy. Well, it definitely solves a lot of problems for me as an automator, because 
There are a lot of apps that are on all three platforms that have great shortcut support that with all the Apple script in the world, I can't automate. Like, I mean, food noms is the one I track my food with. And I've been struggling with uh, automating that on Mac and uh, coming up with these real contraption based automations that don't work. And now it just showed up with shortcuts when I installed it on the Mac. And I think this is going to really solve a lot of problems for people especially making those simple, you know, two to five step automations with just an app that they're already using and they want to just make it easier on their Mac. Oh yeah. It's all about making it easier. Right. And I, you know, and and that's one of the things that we looked at this year for sharing shortcuts, like as you guys know, right. People uh, just love sharing their shortcuts. And I think, I think there's you take a step back, it's kind of like human nature, right? The moment we find something that like saves us some time, we just can't wait to tell someone else about it, right? Yeah, we yeah. <laughs> we look for, you know, whether it's like navigating to some place or, or whatever it might be, right? It could be a really simple task. It could be a really complex project. But I, I find that as as humans, we're all about like helping others kind of save time. And I think that there's nothing truer than that with shortcuts. And, you know, as a result, you kind of got this really passionate community that, some of them just build shortcuts just so they can share them. You know, they they may not even be using themselves and, and they, or they might be. And they're like, hey, this saved me a ton of time. I've got to tell someone else about it. Um, and so that was a, another driver this year to kind of make uh, the shortcuts easier to share, right? Just send a link. Um, you can, you know, mail it to someone. You can airdrop it. You can message it just like you you share anything else on, on your device. Um, and so, you know, you're right, David. I think... A lot of people are going to kind of stumble into this a few steps, a few actions, and they'll they'll step back and be like, "Whoa, that was amazing!" Um, and then you know, hopefully, they they tell others about it, which is is really cool. One of the nerdier ways that Mac guys and gals like to script is what we call UI scripting, and uh, a lot of times apps don't have good automation tools, but if you can have a scripting tool that can select an item from the menu bar or type a keyboard stroke, a lot of times that can get you a long way towards getting automation built. Do you see that, you know, as part of shortcuts at some point, building those types of UI scripting tools in? Uh, you know, it's it's always tough for us to talk about the future, but uh, sure. I, I, yeah. you know, as we mentioned earlier, shortcuts is definitely the future of automation on the Mac. I, You know, I think there's part of what, the team has looked at and, and our approach here. Uh, I'll give you a great example. Um, you know, next action suggestions is a great example, but even things going way back to like the magic variable um, or, or more recently the variable snapping, right? These are kind of areas that we've looked at which do get a little more complex, right? You you get a little deeper. Um, it's it's kind of like scripting. You're you're kind of getting uh, you're going down a level and. Even in that space, we wanted to make sure with something like variable snapping that we we could help users move from one action to the next, right? Understand the data coming out of one action uh, as an input to the next, and and so those are examples of where you know we are we're paying attention to to those users who do go deeper, um, who do want some of that advanced scripting capability, and so uh, you know that's something we'll we'll continue to to invest in, but it. It is really just about making this easy for everyone. And, and you know, one of the things that I've always loved is you see this with our developer community, right? Um, we have the five-year-old kid who's built the app and the 80-year-old grandma who's built, who's built the, the app and the business. And 
I think shortcuts is that same thing. You've got this wide spectrum of users um, and some folks can go real deep. Um, some just want a, a few steps and actions and and we're, we're going to do our best to, you know, help help all of them along. And so whether it's advanced scripting capability or even just suggesting a few next actions, those are, are both things that we're, we're definitely passionate about. And you honestly don't have to worry because us nerds are going to be writing Apple script um, uh, snippets for shortcuts where we're going to we're going to get that stuff anyway. We're just going to write it in as Apple script. And that's really, to me, the beauty of this whole thing that you've done is you have made uh, simple scripting available to everyone. You can bring a skill set over from your iPhone to your Mac now. But but and this is the big you know, thanks for me is that you've left the door open for all the traditional scripting methods, shell scripting, Apple script, all that stuff is still there, which means for the nerdier folks, they can go as deep down that stack as they want and shortcuts can or cannot be a tool for them. It just doesn't matter. Yeah, no, exactly. You know, people love some of those technologies, right? They've been, you know, they've invested a lot of time. They're they're passionate Mm -hmm. about it. And it's one of those things, right? When you get really passionate about some of this stuff, you could just go deeper and deeper. And, and we don't want to, you know, uh, exclude anyone. We, we want to make sure everyone feels welcome. And, and I think shortcuts is just a a great example of that on the Mac, right? It's, it's just, like you said, it's just such a big audience and, and, and we do love them all. So (laughs) yeah, we're, we're excited about that. David and I were speaking yesterday and, you know, we're trying to come up with like, what's a, a technology from Apple that has been in Mac OS the longest. And we actually both think it's Apple script. Like, uh, I mean, it, it goes, it goes way back. And, and so it is cool to see it in this new era being right alongside these other automations. And I, I think what shortcuts offers, and I think, I think y'all would agree with this is it offers a range that automator and other tools just couldn't. So you can start with simple building blocks, like you said, like Lego snapping together. I really like that as an analogy, but then you can also just drop a shell script on it and and do your thing <laughs> at the command line. And and shortcuts actually comes with command line tools on, on the Mac, which I, when I, I saw that in the session, I just laughed. Like that is so awesome. <laughs> I know our audience is going to love that. Uh, and so I think I think that range is is really what I'm most impressed with, uh, having read and watched everything y'all put out about shortcuts for Mac this week that it really seems like it's been designed to meet the needs of as many people as possible. And I'm sure that was just so much work to get it there, but I do think people are really going to appreciate it. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, hats off to the team. They, you know, and I, and I think it's a reflection on the community and, and the Mac users out there, right? They, they deserve this and, and, you know, the team has, has really stepped up, but I, I think, one of the other things that is just so exciting and, you know, another great example is, is kind of, you know, what we've done with Swift, right? Like if you look at Swift playgrounds and, you know, it started as this ability for anyone to kind of learn how to code, um, really simple, really easy, straightforward, right there on your iPad. And you look at, you know, what we announced this year, which is, has got a lot of buzz is you can build entire apps and, and submit them to the app store, um, right from, from your iPad. And so, Shortcuts is kind of that same vein, right? You people, you're right, um, Stephen. Like people get started and and they they do a few things, but they're curious, right? Like curiosity is kind of that thing, and it they get deeper and deeper. And and the great thing is, shortcuts is is kind of there to support them along that journey. So, um, yeah, that's it's so exciting, and and we can't wait. Yeah, well, um, 
our hats off to you guys again. I, I think this is really great for automation on the Mac. It's um, it's kind of taking the ball of Automator and running with it. And I think that's going to make it much easier for a lot of folks. I was just thinking like of my sister who's not in techie called me and I told her that she needs to declare a variable in Apple script. She'd just hang <laughs> up on me. But if I, if I, if I got her started with shortcuts, I think she could actually build automations that she would need. And that's exactly, I think, uh, you know, the, the audience that, that everybody should be able to do this stuff. And, and I love that, you know, Apple has this long history of automation and that they're continuing to work on it. And, um, again, I know this was a lot of work and I just love the way that we're already seeing bounce back to the iPhone and iPad. The things you built for the Mac are now able to improve our quality of life of automation on the iPhone and iPad too. It's just very nicely done. Oh, thank you. Yeah. You know, we, we love it. I, I think it's a, you know, a huge passion project for a lot of folks, uh, at Apple and, and, you know, we're invested in it. So it's, it's exciting. I, this, this year and the announcement, um, great opportunity, you know, uh, for so many people to kind of get stuck into shortcuts. So yeah, we cannot wait. <laughs> well, we appreciate you taking the time to come on and talk with us and our audience. Uh, I know you've made a lot of people feel better that are Apple script warriors. And I think you've made a lot of people hopeful who are not. So thanks again, Vivek, for coming on today. Oh, thank you guys. I, you know, and I encourage all your listeners to hopefully pull down the developer beta, get stuck in and, and we look forward to the feedback and yeah, this is, it's been great talking to you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I sure appreciate when Apple comes on the show. Don't you, Steven? I do too. It's always fun to to talk to the folks who, think really deeply and work really hard on all this stuff. Yeah. I, I've been using it um, since we talked and it, you know, it is basically as he says, I mean, they really decided and there's a lot of ways this could have gone, right? They could have like shut down Apple script and said, no, we have our own thing now and you want to use shortcuts. They didn't do that. And I've been getting emails from people saying, you know, what's going to happen to keyboard maestro or Hazel or my Apple script. And my answer is nothing. I mean, they're not changing any of the underlying tools that you can use with those historic automation tools. All they're doing is adding, you know, they're jumping into the game with, with their own. And there are things that shortcuts will be better at than those historic tools, especially like the app integrations. Um, and there are things that it will be worse at, and then you just got to choose the best tool for the job. Yeah. I'm really impressed with how they have been willing to add new things but not burning down the old because like we yeah. talked about in the interview so many people rely on apple scripts and shell scripting to get things done and shortcuts respects and just brings all that in-house and i did not really expect that to be honest but i'm so glad that's the way they went but, you know they just released the timery app for the mac and i'm a big time tracker and I have been banging my head against the wall for years trying to automate timery timers or toggle timers on the Mac. And there's an API that barely works from toggle. And, you know, and I would do these like UI scripting things where you like go on the web and throw a switch or try to use the toggle app, which is kind of terrible. And there was just no way to do it. And ultimately I, I kind of begged the timery developer and he added a menu item in the app. This is all my fault. If you get the timer app, there's a menu item that has a list of all your favorite timers. And so using, a, because once it's a menu item, I can automate it with Keyboard Maestro, you know, because Keyboard Maestro has a menu command. 
you know, go to the timer menu and select the menu, you know, podcast slash MPU. And I can trigger a timer off the menu command with keyboard master, but even that's a hack, you know, uh, whereas the timery um, automation for shortcuts just appeared on my Mac with the shortcuts version of timery. And it's not all entirely hooked up yet. This is brand new. We're in beta one, but you can see already that, you know, setting timers is going to be something that you do in shortcuts. You don't come up with some kludgy keyboard master script for that. But then the ones that I use, like the keyboard master script, where I say, look at the screen and find something that looks like this and press in the center of it. I'm not going to get that with shortcuts. So it's, I, I, I think this is really great. And, you know, we're not losing anything. So don't worry about that. You don't have to email me about that anymore either. I've got a lot of those emails. <laughs> um, we're just getting stuff. And uh, I think the stuff we're getting is going to be more at the entry level, but that gets more people in automation. And that's great. And it's cool that it is, uh, again, this idea of an ecosystem feature. It's the same shortcuts you're already used to. So if you've been exploring it before, those skills translate over to the Mac now. Someone doesn't have to learn Automator or AppleScript if they're just familiar with shortcuts. And it gives people on the Mac an easy way to get into automation. Because even with Automator and Keyboard Maestro and others, there's a bit of a learning curve. And Shortcuts yeah. does a lot to dampen that. And I think it's going to open the door to automation to more people than ever before. Yeah, I'm going to, and I've got several emails about field guides and shortcuts. So uh, I, I'm pretty certain what I'm going to do is there'll be a free update to the shortcuts field guide for iPhone and iPad with the new uh, mobile features. So if you bought it already, you don't have to buy it again, because I think I'll be able to do that with a limited number of new videos. Um, but I'm going to make a new field guide for shortcuts on the Mac, which will be a new purchase, because that's going to take me about six weeks to make it. So that and hopefully that'll come out about the time that all this releases. So that's my plan for shortcuts. This very special episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by SaneBox. We all get a lot of email that we don't want, either newsletters we didn't sign up for, email that's not necessarily spam or junk, but that's just unwanted. We also get stuff that we need to deal with, but we can't deal with it right now. We need to see it later. That's where SaneBox comes in. It's a service that works with all kinds of email programs and services. You're not locked into their special app or their special email server. And it learns what email is important to you and filters out what isn't saving you hours each week. You have a bunch of great filters you can set up. Sane later keeps your inbox clean with things that only really matter. There's the same black hole. You drag a message in there and you're never going to hear from that sender again. You can snooze messages, you can set up reminders. If you email somebody and they don't follow up with you, you can get a reminder and SaneBox will tell you, hey, that person never emailed you back. And it's so much more than filtering. You can move attachments to Dropbox and other cloud services. And again, you can use it in any app that you want to. They have various pricing plans starting as low as about $4 a month. If you go to SaneBox.com MPU, you will receive a $25 credit on any plan and a 14-day free trial. My guess is you're not even going to need all 14 days because 66% of MPU listeners who have tried SaneBox end up subscribing. I love SaneBox. I could not live with my email without it. And I think that's going to be true for you too. 
So go to sanebox.com slash MPU to receive that $25 credit on any plan. Our thanks to Sanebox for saving us from drowning in our inboxes and for their ongoing support of the show. So can we talk a little bit about focus mode? Yes, please. I They just call it focus, but I, I, just, I keep going to focus mode. I think that makes more sense. So sorry, Apple marketing. I'm changing <laughs> the name. Yeah, it's one of those times where Apple's single proper noun names doesn't quite work in the real world. Yeah. But um, this is going to be, I think it's going to be really powerful for people who want to invest the time in figuring it out. Um, I know that Gray had kind of like his own focus mode he was making with Do Not Disturb and a bunch of like, I think, parental controls. And I listened to him talk about it once and it just it just made me confused, honestly. I, I'm like, I don't want to do that. Whatever he's doing, I don't want to do that. But I've been a, 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 often hitting uh, Do Not Disturb mode when I want to work. Um, just kind of as a basic way to keep the world out. But this gives you way more granular control over it. Yeah, because do not d- disturb, even with screen time and other things, you're sort of piecing things together. And sometimes those don't want to go together. But what focus modes do is you can have different different things set up for different situations and different contexts. And it's all built to... Uh, to work together. And so the little bit that I've played with it, I've, I've been impressed that it seems very well thought through because basically if you think about what can bother you on your device, it's people and it's apps and it lets you manage notifications from those uh, separately. And it even gives you tools to let somebody know, Hey, I'm not actually looking at notifications right now for this reason. And I don't know. It seems like, it seems like when screen time came out, it was not quite all the way done, right? It was it was buggy, yeah. and you would run into weird situations where you were trying to get certain things done. It wanted to fight you. This feels, to me at least, like a feature that had more time to bake, and it feels a lot more well-rounded than something like screen time did. I don't know. Is that is that how you think about it, too? Yeah, it's really well polished. I mean, so you set up a focus and um, like the example I used in my blog post was podcasting because I I podcast a lot. And when I do podcasting, there's only four people that can message me, you, Rosemary, Mike, and my wife. And the rest of the world doesn't get through. And then, so I I chose people. I guess, let me just back up. A focus is like building a wall around yourself. But then with each contextual focus, you can choose what people, apps, or services can break through the wall. And like when it comes to podcasting, I let just the podcasters get through and my wife. And I let just a few apps get through. So it's very limited. Um, they have, But they also have a thing saying, well, if it's a time-sensitive you know, notification, you know, Uber is outside your house right. and they want to pick you up. You can choose to let them through, but I don't even let, I don't even have that turned on for podcasting. I just don't want to be bugged when I'm recording. Um, But you can turn that on if you want. Then you can also choose whether or not to send a message back saying, Dave's not around right now. He's, he's busy, you know, or you can have it not do that. So it'll just, you know, they just won't get a reply. One thing that I, I really love about this is you can have it 
on the iOS devices go to a custom home screen. So um, like I set up a focus this morning called comms where I have a home screen that has all the apps that have, you know, communications with other people involved with it, you know, ranging from mail and messages to, you know, third-party call services and Instagram and all that stuff that I use to communicate with other people. And that's on a home screen that I hide. I don't keep that open because I don't want to be looking at stuff all day. But when I switch to comms focus, that screen pops up and that's the main screen on my computer or on my device. So it just like they've thought this through so much. I really feel like this is an iteration of contextual computing and that you can choose a mode of focus and the whole device then kind of bends to that will to what you want to be doing. And it, it makes it easier for you to not get interrupted. It makes it easier for you to get to the tools you want. All of this is integrated with shortcuts. So you can trigger them with a shortcut. It's like really well thought out and really well implemented. And I have, we'll talk about more power users. I've got like 10 of them already. And, Mm -hmm. and I I think this is going to be great. Um, There's a couple things that I would, I've already submitted tickets on like, you know, the, the, the initial thought of this is, we're going to block a bunch of interruptions, but there are some modes where I'm okay with interruptions and they don't really make it easy to kind of open, you know, to cut big holes in the wall. It's got, they're all very small holes, which I think is what we want, but I would like the option to cut bigger holes if I wanted. Yeah, that makes sense. There's some little like niggles I have, but this is like the very first version they've released and maybe they'll make some changes, but overall this is amazing. And you trigger it, uh, you know, from the dashboard or from your menu bar on your Mac. And, you know, it, it's across everything. Like, like one of the problems I always have as a podcaster is this dance I do before we start recording to make sure I've got D&D turned on on all of my devices. And then inevitably there's like an iPad across the room I didn't hit. And then we start recording and then messages start coming in and I've got that background noise that I got to deal with. Um, this is across all devices immediately from your watch up to your 27-inch iMac. And all you have to do is trigger it on one device and it works everywhere. I, uh, I honestly can't say enough good things about this. And I hope that listeners give this a real try. You know, spend an hour with it once this gets on your device and, and use it to your advantage to give you some more focus. I mean, I make a podcast called Focus, so obviously this is going to land with me. <laughs> Well, and it ties into the contextual computing idea because your devices can be more bent to your will in terms of how you want them to behave given what you're doing. And so if you're at work, give me a set of home, you know, give me a set of apps on my home screen, give me a set of notifications that are allowed. But then when it's Saturday, I'm at home and I'm not in the office, I don't want to see that stuff. And I really think if people lean into this, that you really could have a a single device or set of devices that act in very different ways, given what you're doing and what you want them to do. And we haven't really had that on Apple platforms before to this extent. And so I am very curious to see how people will, will end up using this. And I think people will come up with all sorts of examples and, ways of shaping this that we haven't considered yet yeah i agree and um uh, i i would like just a little you know how it is you give me 90 percent control i want the extra 10 percent even more and uh, so so there are some things i'd like to see changed about this but this is massive and and way more control than i ever expected 
So I'm I am very stoked about this and looking forward to to getting deeper with it through this beta. So let's let's talk a bit about the Mac. We have Mac OS Monterey coming later this year. Yeah. Keeping keeping with the California names. Monterey, by the way, is gorgeous. If you ever get to California and you want to go there, it is a, it's a peninsula about I don't know, it's closer to the north than the south, but it's kind of in the center of the state. And it's a little town. There's like shopping there, lots of like wildlife in the ocean, seals, dolphins, whatever. And um like it's it's just a wonderful place to go visit. I I approve of the choice of location. <laughs> It uh, Monterey is, I think, on the surface, it's a little bit of a slower release than Big Sur. I mean, it it looks oh, yeah. like Big Sur, uh, works like Big Sur. It gets all the those ecosystem features we spoke about earlier. You know, the FaceTime stuff, share play, etc. That all shows up here, but it does have some features that are uh, unique to the Mac. And one that definitely impacts us and our audience is MailKit. And so this is a new framework just on the Mac. This isn't on iOS or iPadOS, but I could see it coming there in the future maybe. And it lets developers create extensions for Apple Mail. And uh, and this is the way that that will happen moving forward. So if you have Mail Tags or some other mail plugin right now that will continue to work but at some point it won't and it'll need to move to this this new system which hopefully is more sustainable because we've all had that situation where mail plugins just die six months out of the year because they got to catch up with apple this feels like apple sort of blessing the idea of mail extensions in a way that is hopefully easier for everybody to deal with yeah i feel like over the last five or so years apple has really tried to screw the dials down on uh, security in relation to mail like if you looked at historical mail extensions um it was definitely a vector for a hostile attack on your data and they've been fixing that over the years but the result is all of these mail extension software developers Mm -hmm. have to like reinvent the wheel every year yeah and while it's a little sad, they've got to do it one more time. I think this is probably going to mean that going forward, it's a lot easier for them to maintain their yep. code. I think and so too. Protect user security. You know, I think that it's right. a twofold thing. Yep. There are four buckets that a mail plugin can fit into. One is workflow that uh, workflows that are provided when composing emails. You have uh, email actions. So these are custom rules to incoming email. So if someone wanted to build an awesome rules editor for mail, I guess that could be possible through MailKit. Content blockers, and then message security. So these are extensions that can sign, encrypt, and decrypt emails when sending and receiving. And so those are kind of the four. That feels pretty comprehensive to me. And I think that... Uh, like you said, this makes me excited about the future of of mail plugins. I think that I and I think a lot of people are hesitant to really rely on them because it feels like they're built on a house of cards. And now we are hopefully in a much better place with that. 
Agreed. Although I am sad that it's only on the Mac because that means that all the cool features we can add on on the Mac are not going to be possible on iPad and iPhone. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't seem like Apple's really inclined to to add a lot on their own. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, hopefully, I, I think this will come, but not right now. Yeah. Definitely not right now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so that that's MailKit. Uh, the other cool thing is universal control. Was your mind blown when you saw this demo? I my emotions were mixed about this because uh, it is cool and it's a great feature and something that I will use. But it also felt to me like a little bit of a death knell for true power usage on the iPad. Like their solution to not being able to do a bunch of file management stuff on the iPad is set your iPad next to your Mac and then do it on the Mac. Mm. Am I, am I being weird with that? With that take? I didn't, that wasn't my take, but now that you've put it in my mind, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, cause, cause basically the feature is you're sitting at your Mac and you can use your keyboard and, and mouse or trackpad to drive the iPad and you can drag and drop across those devices and copy and paste between those devices directly. And, yeah, it does make the Mac feel more like the parent to the iPad. It it also, and I, I kind of have this problem with Apple in general. I feel like Apple always pitches this vision of their customers moving between their Apple devices as they work fluidly. So I've been, stick with me for a second. So I've been rewatching The West Wing, yeah. which is fantastic. And Aaron Sorkin does the walk and talk, right? So you have a character and they walk across the White House and they they come across three or four other characters and they talk for a little bit and someone peels off into their office. And that's how I think Apple views people working on their devices. That I'm at my Mac, then I pick up my iPad, I'm in the same document, and then I get to the place and I open my laptop and I'm in the same document. And then something comes in my phone, I take a picture with my phone and send it the photo into my slideshow through continuity. It's like I just don't know how many people actually work that way. I certainly don't. I have my devices for different types of of work, but I'm not sitting one down and picking one up to like do some other subtask on it. Well, have you seen Apple's headquarters, man? You got to like walk seven miles to go see somebody. Aaron Sorkin would love it. (laughs) Yeah. So maybe they're like, there's a bunch of people walking down the hallway working on their iPads, you know, at Apple. So they've got to fix that. Right. Yeah. I'm with you uh, I though. I get it. I mean, I, I don't usually I finish a job. Like if I working on the iPad, I finish whatever I'm doing. And then when I pick up my Mac, I'm starting with something new. I, I rarely do I jump between them. Yeah. But uh the other thing universal control will do is it will let you control another Mac. And there it, it's a little unclear at the point of recording, but this combined with AirPlay somehow, or maybe not combined with AirPlay, that's the part that's a little confusing is you can use a Mac basically as a, as a second display as well. And that would be over AirPlay or over a cable. So you may have some latency there. You're probably going to have some latency with this as well. But it's cool. I'm not sure how often I'm going to like drag and drop across to my iPad. But for people who do work that way or do want something like that, uh, this is available now in Monterey. No, I think it's cool. And like the animation that they do with the way the, the cursor kind of pokes into the next device. I like is, that, yeah. Is beautiful and very Apple. Yeah, it's like there's a, a membrane 
along the side of the display it has to push through. I, I really yeah. I really thought that was pretty cool. And and I will use this feature. I mean, I'm I want to talk about me and the iPad later when we get to the iPad updates, but I think I could see myself pulling stuff from the iPad onto the Mac, but it also just kind of made me a little sad thinking like I get this is cool, but I really would like to be able to finish the job on the iPad and not have to drag the file over, you know? Yeah. Couple other things uh, on the Mac. The Mac is picking up a recording indicator in the menu bar. So, like on the iPhone, if a app has used your microphone or camera, you get that little dot. And then if you go into Control Center, it, it shows you what caused it. That's coming to the Mac, which I think is is great. Yeah. Uh, something also interesting, and I think uh, an interesting troubleshooting step, or if you're selling a Mac, something like that, is you can now effectively erase a Mac without reinstalling Mac OS. So with, I think it was Big Sur, or maybe the year before, but uh, Mac OS now lives on a separate partition from all of your user data and all of your applications. And I think it's been true for a couple of years. And with Big Sur, that became a read-only partition. And that effectively means that Mac OS is on an island separate from all of your data. That's great from a security standpoint. But now if you have a Mac with a T2, so an Intel Mac with a T2, or you have an M1 Mac, there there will be a new option to erase all content and settings like there is on an iPad or an iPhone, or I think an Apple TV even has this. And so you can erase all of your stuff off the device, and then it's just like a new Mac when you restart it after that, uh, after you execute that command. So this is just a natural outflow of what they've been doing with macOS to make it more secure and separate from your data. But now if you are giving a machine to somebody or selling it or whatever, it's uh it's pr- it'll be pretty easy to make sure your stuff isn't on it. Yeah. Agreed. Um, this is all good stuff though. I mean, yeah. And, uh, things that, that make sense on a Mac and I don't know. I, I really feel I get a heavy snow leopard vibe from this release. You know, mm-hmm. I, I feel like they've added some really nice features, but they haven't changed the under underpinnings a lot. And I think we're in for a pretty stable year on the Mac. At least that's my hope. Yeah. Uh, I, I hope so too. You did mention that some of these features are not coming to Intel Macs. There's a link in the show notes that outlines what they are. Uh, it, it's just that some of these require a neural engine that's on the M1 that's not on the Intel Mac. So the unlimited keyboard dictation, complete on-device dictation, some text-to-speech stuff, some of this uh, requires Apple Silicon. So I'm not shocked by this. It, It happened quicker than I thought it would, but it's all pretty... I mean, I know know you're a big dictation user, so don't, don't take this the wrong way. It's all pretty minor stuff. It's not like there's some new thing in Finder and it only works on the Apple Silicon Macs, right? This is these are smaller, maybe less mainstream features. Yeah, they're not trying to punish Intel Mac users. They're yeah. just saying there's features on the new chip. We want to take advantage of them now. Yes. We're not going to wait until everybody's using the new chips. We're going to implement right. them now. And if you've got the old chip, you don't get this, and that's okay. But we're going through transition. Real quick, um, there were a lot of rumors going in, and I actually thought going in we were going to get MacBook Pros. Are you a little sad that we didn't? I'm in a little, just because I want to see what's next, but not shocked that it wasn't 
uh, they weren't ready. Yeah. You know, at this point, they could do it whenever. So we're kind of back in the in the feeling of like there could be an Apple event at, at any moment, any day could be MacBook Pro Day. You know, maybe it'll be the fall. I'm hoping that it's it's sooner than that. You know, maybe we get something next month or in August. But I kind of figured we were halfway through the keynote. I was like, I feel like this isn't coming. Like they were because yeah. there there were so much software stuff to talk about. But um, I know I know some people were were really ready for a, a higher end MacBook Pro or, or Mac Mini or whatever. But it'll come. You know, they said it's a two year thing, so just got to be a little patient. I feel bad for Apple because they're like, for so many years, their hardware was constrained by Intel. You know, mm-hmm. they're like, well, we have the Mac ready, but Intel hasn't made the chips yet, you know, and that would go on sometimes for years. And they're like, okay, we're making our own chips. Now we're in control of our own destiny. And now we have a global chip shortage. And yeah. <laughs> I, I'm sure that is affecting their ability to get yeah. chips, even yeah. though they're making their own. So, yeah, I kind of feel bad for them. Yeah. I'm sure that they're not happy about that, but. Either way. Yeah. The, the last thing I want to say before we move on from the Mac is that Monterey does change the system requirements. It drops almost all 2013 and 2014 Macs, except the 2013 Mac Pro, the trash can, and the 2014 Mac Mini. Uh, it also oddly drops the first one-port MacBook, which I have one. It's so slow, like... Anyone who's still using one of those, I, I really feel for you because it's really underperformant. Uh, but it does tweak the system requirements. So if you're using like a 2014 uh, MacBook Pro or iMac or something, uh, you've been you've been dropped. You still get security updates. Apple offers those for two years, but um, this does move the bar a little bit in terms of what Macs can can run this. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Squarespace. Make your next move with Squarespace and head to squarespace.com MPU and enter offer code MPU at checkout to get 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform to build your online presence and run your business. From websites and online stores to marketing tools and analytics, they've got you covered. Squarespace combines cutting-edge design and world-class engineering, making it easier than ever to establish your home online and make your ideas a reality. Squarespace has everything you need to create a beautiful and modern website. You start with a professionally designed template and use drag-and-drop tools to make it your own. You can customize the look and feel, the settings, the products you have on sale, and more with just a few clicks, and all Squarespace websites are optimized for mobile. Your content automatically adjusts so it will look great on any device. You also get the free unlimited hosting, top-of-the-line security, and dependable resources to help you succeed. There's nothing to patch or upgrade. They have award-winning 24-7 customer support if you need any help, and they'll even let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name. Plus, you'll have everything you need for SEO and email marketing to get your ideas out there. You can use Squarespace to turn your big idea into a new website or showcase your work with their incredible portfolio designs, or you could publish your next blog post, promote your business, announce an upcoming event, and much more. My wife and I decided to start making a vlog about Disneyland, and we went to Squarespace to set the website up. DLRfieldguide.com is all built on Squarespace. 
I love it because my wife is not particularly nerdy, but she absolutely runs that website and has no problem using all the bells and whistles attached to Squarespace. Social media links, posts, videos, photos, you name it, she can do it. Head to squarespace.com slash MPU for a free trial with no credit card required. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code MPU to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com slash MPU. And when you decide to sign up, use the offer code MPU to get 10% off your first purchase and to show your support for the Mac Power users. And our thanks to Squarespace for their support of the Mac Power users and all of Relay FM. Okay, I want to talk about the iPad a little bit. Going into it, um, everybody was a little surly because they released these super fast iPads and it felt like we didn't have software to run it. Um, coming out of WWDC, do you think Apple answered the call? Not really. I like what they've done with the iPad, but other than those the those core functionality things we spoke at the top, it's multitasking and stuff that was already on the iPhone. You know, there there's not a good explanation for Thunderbolt on the iPad Pro. There's not justification for the M1. There's not a new Pro app. So I, I like what they're doing in iPad OS 15. I'm I'm in no way saying that I'm disappointed in it, but I do think they left this big question of, hey, what's the deal with this iPad Pro? Like that is just unanswered still. Yeah, and to summarize, they did some nice improvements. Um, uh, we got widgets everywhere on the home screen, which was you know I guess truth be told, one of the things I wanted the most. I want to turn my my home screens on the iPad into like this dashboard. And now I can do that. Yeah. Um, and that's great. Um, mm-hmm. They, they redid multitasking in a way that makes a lot more sense, you know? And I guess just kind of speaking generally, I want to be clear. I'm not looking for the iPad to work exactly like the Mac. I'm not even sure. I like the idea of like free form windows on an iPad, like they are in the Mac. I think, Generally, Apple has the right idea about, you know, uh, windows populating at preset sizes and make it easy for the user to, to move them around. And the new system is visual where the old system was gesture based and it felt like you had to be on the inside of the magic circle to know how yeah. to do them. Yeah. And then you'd forget because you didn't do them enough. And the new system is way better. And they added keyboard shortcuts. So now you can set up windows on your iPad if you're attached to a keyboard without having to... Uh, you know, take your fingers off the keyboard. I mean, this is all really good stuff, but <laughs> it still doesn't feel to me like I understand why we need an M1 in it. You know, I feel like a whiner about it, you know, but the, uh, it just seems kind of odd. You know, I mean, they've made this super powerful iPad and, and a lot of the low hanging fruit in terms of file management isn't there. And a lot of the high fang- hanging fruit, like a final cut version isn't there. Mm-hmm. And all of this, I've been thinking a lot about the iPad lately because I've been trying really hard to get it to be like a laptop replacement. And, you know, I talk about on the show the different workflows I come up with to get around problems. And between the fact that Apple doesn't really seem to be pushing the envelope on some of this stuff and the fact that the Mac now is light and all-day battery and super fast and getting a lot of the features that the iPad historically had, um, I'm getting less inclined to, to climb this hill, you know? 
it feels like you know Sisyphus trying to get this iPad to tag a file. And on the Mac, that is so easy, you know. Plus, I have all those automation tools on the Mac. So I think I'm going to be changing my relationship with the iPad. I'm, I'm still going to use one, but I think I'm going to stop trying to force it to do things that I'm not sure Apple's interested in doing with it. I don't. I, I don't disagree with that at all. I think if you just look at the the multitasking changes, they are good. They are built on top of the system we've had. It's like you said, it's not freeform Windows. It's still a slide over and split view. It does make a lot more sense than it used to. I mean, I, I felt like I pretty immediately got what they were doing in the new system because it's visual. And gang, it's just so hard to talk about. Like we have a bunch of links in the show notes. Like you can go check out screenshots and videos of it working. But it's still the iPad, right? They didn't fundamentally change iPad OS. They didn't fundamentally change what it means to be an iPad. And especially with M1 in the notebooks, they're so fantastic. Um, you know, I was never as big of an iPad worker as you were, but I've really sort of, I'm, I'm fine with that. Like I'm fine because the MacBook, it, the MacBook Pro, the MacBook Air are so good. And I prefer Mac OS anyways. I've I've kind of come to the realization that I think what I want out of out of a mobile computer, the iPad just doesn't fit. And that's fine, but kind of a hard realization. Yeah, it is for me. Like I, I was looking at my kids who use their iPads daily, and they're both students. And one uses GoodNotes, the other uses Notability. We got that dividing line in our family. Nice. The, uh, they sit in class and they take notes and they, they work on papers. And they never hit any of the barriers of the iPad that I do, right? They just don't, they're not worried about getting their files tagged so they can apply a Hazel rule. Or they're not worried <laughs> about, you know, managing 17 contracts on one transaction. They, they just don't have those problems, and they love the iPad, you know, um, and it's really a useful tool for them. And the more I thought about it, the more I realized, you know, Apple gets on stage and they do say, hey, this is as powerful as a laptop. And it is. But I just don't think Apple sees the vision for the iPad use that I am looking for. I think they see the vision that my kids are looking for. And they make it better for the stuff my kids do every year on it. And they're not consumers on the iPad. They they produce content and they work on them, but they work on them in a more simplified way than I can I can. Mm-hmm. And I just it just started to sink into me that, you know, that's what they're that's the vision. If you watch the keynote and you see the stuff they've added to the iPad, it's gonna be really good for the stuff my kids do, but it still doesn't solve these fundamental problems I'm facing. Yeah. And um, so that's, you know, I, I've talked on the show that I ordered a new iPad, an M- M1 iPad this year. And I, you know, I returned it. I mean, it, it showed up. I, you know, I went on Apple. I said return. I printed a label and I never opened the box. I just sent it back to them. I mean, that's a month of health insurance. I don't need to yeah. spend on it. You know, I've got a 2018 iPad Pro that I, I really like and I'm going to continue to use it. But like I said, I'm going to kind of change my workflow habits. Like I, I still think it's great for annotating contracts with an Apple Pencil. And the dictation is even better now. There, there are things I'm going to do with it. But I think I'm kind of done trying to fight it on things that it's not good at. Anything else uh, on the iPad? Uh, we didn't mention the uh, web extensions in Safari. I guess we talked about it at the top. That's going to be cool. Yeah. And, um, and the app library, which is overdue. I'm glad we got the mm-hmm. Apple library. Yeah. 
uh, I'm loving widgets on the home screen on the iPad and they have a new size that's not on the iPhone. It's just like massive. And yeah, you could you could make an iPad, even like an older iPad. Maybe you have like one floating around, make it a status board pretty easily. And uh, I think that's pretty cool. I'm, I'm really digging it. I've blown up my whole home screen and <laughs> got on a starting over on my iPad Pro. Yeah. One thing I'm doing more with these betas than I was doing in iOS 14 is making custom home screens because it's just so much easier now. And the way that the, the system works, and the fact that you can put multiple widgets on a page, but, you know, just think about different contexts of your work. I guess contextual computing is going to become the new drinking game word on our show, but yeah. Um, but you could set up like a context for work communications. Like there's an Apple mill widget now, and you could set it to have your work inbox and you could have a screen that has that and your work chat and all that. And then you can turn them off and on very easily. So you could have a separate screen with, with the mail widget, with your home inbox, your personal inbox, and just give some thought to the idea of customizable home screens that you can toggle on and off based on what you're working on. And uh, I think that that's going to be really cool with the iPad. You know, the iPhone, I feel like, got the the least amount of specific stuff. You know, the iPad got a lot of things that the iPhone got last year. But iOS itself doesn't have a ton of new stuff. Um, Apple Wallet got a bunch of changes where you can put your like driver's license in it if your state supports it. So I'm not holding my breath here in Tennessee. And yeah. they've said, you know, they're working with TSA to approve that. So you can just show your phone as your ID. You can also use wallet for smart keys for like homes and hotel rooms and stuff. Anything, any feature like that that really requires external partners to support it, like it's probably not going to be there on day one, but it may roll out eventually and slowly. And Apple is slowly getting rid of the wallet where all you need is your phone or maybe your watch. Yeah. Yeah. It, it felt like the, you know, last year the iPad didn't get a lot of attention and this year kind of went, the phone didn't get as much. Mm-hmm. Health got some stuff. Health is an, a very iPhone centric thing. It pulls data from the Apple Watch and a bunch of apps. You can now set up health to share specified information with family members or like a caretaker or doctor or something, uh, something like that. So that some of the the medical like syncing and, and sort of thing that has been there for a while to like send your iPhone health data to your medical record and and that sort of your provider. But this is a little more person to person. So say that you have a family member and you want to see trends over time, you can just set that up between the two of you. And so if that's important to you or you have someone in your life who would benefit from this, this is a really nice addition to Apple's health ecosystem. Uh, and I think, honestly, I think health doesn't get the attention it deserves because it's it really is a cool system Apple has built to integrate data from all these different places and put it all under one roof that's pretty easy to deal with. Yeah, I agree. And um just you know in general uh, I for me personally all of these health features have been a, a benefit and I think people should should try to take advantage of it and I like to see that Apple is trying to move the ball forward with every release of not only the iPhone but the the Apple Watch updates. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. The um, we got an update to the Safari, which 
Uh, do you want to talk about that today? I feel like that's such a long conversation. Yeah, Safari is a long conversation. I mean, just briefly, the design has sort of collapsed tabs and the uh, the location bar, like where you type in your URL. They've sort of collapsed that into one thing, and it makes the toolbar look very crowded and I think too dense. And it makes it can even more confusing because, you know, for a long time, Safari has been translucent. And so the frame up at the top kind of picks up the color of the page scrolling under it. But yeah. now it uses the background color of a page. So if you're on Relay FM, the browser looks teal, like our slate color we use on the background of our homepage. But then if you're on Max Parkey, it's white. And it's like, yeah. it's all too much. I really think. They've got to unwind some of that, especially the there's no location bar. It's all just in the tab and it's all the same thing. That is really confusing. And I think just not very good looking. So I'm hoping that that gets addressed. Uh, another problem, and this is on the Mac, is that your extensions are defaulting to blue color. And if you're on a web page that has a blue background, you literally lose your extensions. You can't <laughs> see them. Because you hover over them, it'll show you. I've, I've already run into this on the, the machine I'm running this on. And so, you know, I, I kind of get where they're going for. They want something more minimal and it almost feels more mobile-based. But it may be an overshoot on the Mac. Now, over on the iPhone, they've done some differences. Like they've put the the address bar at the bottom and switching between tabs now just is swiping your thumb across the bottom. and. I actually, my immediate reaction to the iPhone changes is yes, I like it. I mm -hmm. think it's better. Um, but on the Mac, I feel like they've they've got to make some affordances for, you know, the fact that we're going on the internet, and if if you can change the background color of the toolbar based on what what website you're at, then you're going to have to do some hard work to make sure that it doesn't interfere with what's actually in your toolbar. And they haven't done that yet. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, there's a lot more to say about that, but we're we're running along today, and, and I, there's still um, platforms we haven't even covered. <laughs> yeah, the weather update. Are you interested in that? Are you still all in with Carrot? Yeah, I'm all in on Carrot. The uh, the so the iPhone weather app has been dark skyified, so it has maps and uh, some dark sky data. But Apple did sort of quietly announce that the dark sky API. Uh, now is available to the end of 2022. So they've given that another year of life. So folks that run third-party weather apps that use dark sky data have more time to to figure that out. You know, there's a lot of sort of rumor that Apple may offer some sort of weather API to developers that we didn't see that. Maybe that's still coming. But for now, if you use the weather app on the iPhone, it's better than ever. It's still not on any other Apple devices, which blows my mind. And Dark Sky gets a another year to live. I, I just don't care much for the visual look of weather. I never have. The, they have the kind of photorealistic weather portrayal in the app. I much prefer the like simple icons with, with apps like Carrot Weather. For I, I think they're just easier to read for me. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's all a bit too much in the weather app. Uh, taking all the platforms together, one of the things they added with iCloud that um, I guess we should have mentioned this at the top is 
now you can designate a another person as like your savior if you lose your password, mm-hmm. which was always a problem. I mean, if, because everything is so secure, Apple can't even see your data. So if you lose your password, the data is just gone. Now you can say, I'm going to designate my wife as a person that can recover my password if I if I lose it. Apple can send her a message, and if she confirms, then my data gets restored. And I think that is like such a good idea. I yes. mean, how many people have lost data because of some weird thing of, you know, losing a password and then they lose their photo library or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, and we talked on, I think the last feedback show about what happens when you die and yeah, it was real they've, uplifting. they've addressed it now. Yeah. You can, you can say if something happens to me, um, that my wife can recover all my iCloud data or my aunt Sue or whoever. And mm-hmm. I think both of those, I mean, they're small things, but I think they, they're going to solve a lot of problems. Yes, both of those are really nice additions to iCloud. You want to talk about the Apple Watch? Yeah, it is a uh, sort of a quieter year on the watch front as well with Watch OS 8. I think the the most interesting thing is that text entry on the watch is getting more flexible. So we've had dictation and we've had scribble, and now you can combine them. So you can dictate, and if you have an error then you can use the digital crown, scroll back to the letter you want to fix and you scribble to fix it. So that, that's pretty awesome, kind of combining those two things. Yeah. And developers uh, can now in their text fields, in their watch apps, uh, can set it to where it tries to uh, either defaults or guess guesses what you want. So if you're a, a user who always uses scribble, it will learn that and pull scribble up instead of dictation. So I, I like that a lot. Because text entry on the watch, uh, kind of a, bu- a bummer. And it, <laughs> I think it's going to get better by combining those two. Yeah. Although I, I don't do text entry on a watch beyond just talking to it uh, very often. Um, but I was disappointed that we didn't get more watch faces. Um, I really would have liked a watch face store. But um, according to Apple, the most popular watch face is the image face, which in our little nerd circle is probably the least used watch face. Yeah. But they, uh, they added a portrait mode and they did a few small changes, but it doesn't feel like a very big year on the Apple watch. Yeah. I mean, the, uh, using the portrait photo to like show depth on the photo watch face. That's cool. Like take two technologies you already have and smash them together. I wasn't surprised that the photo watch face is the most popular, you know, people in my family and friend circle who wear Apple watches. I feel who aren't nerds. I feel like nine times out of 10, it's a picture of their spouse or their kids or their dog. And I think people really like that. So making that better makes a ton of sense. You got your mindfulness app. I yeah, know that's yes, something you want. Yeah. The mindfulness app. So they took the breathe app and rebranded it mindfulness. It's got breathe and it has a new feature called reflect. So reflect gives you like a, a prompting question. So like, you know, think about something you're thankful for today. And then it gives you time to reflect on that. And that all gets counted as mindful minutes in the health app, not the full blown, you you know, headspace competitor. I mean, there was kind of a bit of a rumor and I still think Apple could totally do it of like a, a mindfulness track inside fitness plus or in parallel to fitness plus, you know, where you have different guided meditations. It's not that it's just taking breathe and making it uh, more robust. And I think that's great. So uh, Apple is is kind of slowly dipping their toe in the water of that sort of feature. 
Yeah, they, they added Tai Chi to the fitness uh, routines. Yeah. But they did announce that Tai Chi is coming to Fitness Plus. I'd love to see it. I, I've taken Tai Chi classes. I think it would be fun to do it with the uh, Fitness Plus. Hopefully that comes in the spring, in the fall. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that too. It's like, that should totally be in Fitness Plus. <laughs> yeah. I, I bet that will happen. I do honestly. too. Yeah. Um, the, uh, but you know, that's cool. I think that that's all good stuff, but it's not massive. And, um, I still have trouble picking a watch face. <laughs> I just can't, can't settle on one. Everyone is flawed in a unique and fun way. There you go. <laughs> Apple TV. Um, there aren't a lot of changes here, but a big one that we got is spatial audio on the Apple TV, which is something I think a lot of people wanted. Now that we've got the cool headphones from Apple, why not have it on our TV? And they brought that. Yep, that's there. You can now use a set of HomePod minis as your Apple TV speakers. Probably not to the same effect as using two full-blown HomePods, but a lot cheaper. (laughs) So there's that. Um, And then if you have the multiple users set up on your Apple TV, you can now have a row in the Apple TV app that suggests things that everyone in the family could watch together. So if you have like, like in our house, we don't use them, but say that we had profiles set up on our Apple TV, uh, it would find something that it knows how old our kids are. It knows the stuff we like, and it would suggest things that sort of meet in the middle. But yeah, very, very quiet year. You know, the, the, the tvOS stuff really this year is all the hardware, right? It's the new remote. It's the high frame rate HDR on the new Apple TV 4K. The software is kind of what it is. And I think it's much more important for Apple to keep working on content and content deals now that they fix the remote. Now that that's done, they can move on to other things. Yeah, agreed. So overall, what do you think? I I think that on the surface, this seems like a pretty quiet WDC, but I think once you dig into it, there's a lot of a lot of great stuff. The thing, and I said at the top, the thing I'm most excited about is the Mac got a bunch of features at the same time the iPad and iPhone did. And I think that that's, that's awesome. I'm, I'm very excited about the future of Apple Silicon and, and what Apple can do like this, this thing where you can just look at a picture and pull a phone number out, right? That sort of smarts uh, in your, in our devices is, is really exciting and honestly really useful. And so I think those sorts of features as we move forward, we'll see more of, you know, these platforms are all really mature. I mean, even something like watch OS, it's been stable in terms of what it does for a long time. And so now it's Apple adding these features on top of that. And while, yeah, that's not maybe as exciting as some other things, it's important work. And I, I think it's going to be uh, I think it's going to be a good year for Apple software. Yeah, I agree. And I like that the things they chose to focus on are going to change the quality of my life. I mean, I think this focus feature is going to be something that I aggressively use. I think that the um, the new FaceTime improvements mean that I get to use FaceTime more often. And, and you know, generally, I feel like this is not going to be a year where we're going to have a lot of stability problems as these things, you know, get into the wild. Um, the dictation thing is huge for me. I know a lot of people don't use it, so it doesn't matter to them, but, but, you know, I've been wanting them to do the dictation on device for 10 years and now we're at a place that you can do that. And they brought it out on all three platforms at the same time. Mm -hmm. I just, 
I just feel like Apple has kind of got their ducks in a row now, and we're going to start seeing the, you know, the, getting the payoff for that. And it's going to be a fun year. Yeah. I've been running the beta. So I've got the beta installed on a Mac, an iPad, and an iPhone. And, you know, don't install them, betas, blah, 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 bad idea. But everything's working fine for me so far. And I, I think this is just kind of another indication that they're not making massive changes this year but small tweaks and uh i'm okay with that and as much as i whined about the ipad i think the improvements the ipad are good i mean i think the multitasking needed something like what they did yeah we didn't even mention like but i guess we talked about in the interview but shortcuts on iphone and ipad got a boon because a bunch of the stuff they had to add for the mac now comes back to the ipad and iphone i don't know i'm just generally pretty in a pretty good place with all this right now yeah, me too. I, I, I'm i pumped that Apple seems to be pushing the ball forward on everything. For so long, it was a new feature comes to just one of them and then eventually makes it around. And it's like that, that was really frustrating, right? Because inevitably it would be on the platform that <laughs> you don't want it on. Like, I really wish this was over here. I only want that over there, like the widgets last year. Yeah. The iPad is just crying out for widgets on the home screen and now we have them. And, and that's... That's really good stuff. I do want to see Apple to continue to work on this privacy and security stuff. I think what they've done this year is interesting and that they're sort of slowly biting things off as they feel like they're ready to. I'm I'm very curious uh, what the the feedback will be, especially around like the iCloud private relay and and sort that sort of privacy service is really what that is. We haven't really seen that before. From Apple, it's all been things in the OS or what apps can and can't do. So I feel like they're entering a new era there too. Yeah, they're just slowly, you know, like, you know, they have a big plan with respect to privacy. And like last year, they kind of took a big shot at privacy with your web browser. This year, they took a big shot at privacy with your email. And now they're adding their own VPN. I I am very curious what else is on that whiteboard in Cupertino. Mm Mm-hmm. So, David, real quick before we go, uh, I just want people to know about another show here on Relay, and that is Rocket. Uh, it's hosted by our friends Bree, Simone, and Christina. They have been uh, going now for over 300 episodes. Episode 300 is really fun. As we're recording, their WBC episode is out. I'm looking forward to listening to that as well. Uh, the three of them have a great chemistry and a great way of, of talking about the tech news stories of the week. You go check it out at relay.fm slash rocket. Uh, I think people will enjoy it. All right. We are the Mac Power Users. Sorry we ran a little long today, but it was a very exciting week for all of the platforms, and it was fun talking about it. And our thanks to Apple for, for coming in today and talking to us about the new shortcuts. Uh, thank you to our sponsors, One Password, Box, and Squarespace. And thank you to all the subscribers to the More Power Users feed. We, we really appreciate it. You guys have really helped us keep the lights on this year. And uh, we'll see you next week.